Friends, we've been in a, a series on the book of Ephesians, uh, Made New to Live New. And uh, we started out talking about what Paul talks about. It, in fact, if you just want the, uh, the top-down kind of view of the whole book, it actually splits up kind of nicely into three chapters of um, the truth that, that about what God has done, kind of the big theological picture. And then the, the second three chapters, uh, for a total of six, the second three chapters are kind of how we live in light of that. Um, and so we've been kind of drilling down deep on some theological topics over the last uh, couple months because that's what Paul does for the first uh, three chapters of the book. And then uh, once we get through the third chapter, we'll begin to move into some really practical kind of this is what life looks like. And Paul's going to get really real about um, what life really looks like and, 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 and all, that's mess, all that messiness and brokenness and, and then what it looks like to, to transform or be transformed uh, by the Spirit. Um, but one of the tough theological topics that Paul has to deal with and that we're going to talk about today is spiritual death. Um, it's, it's not a fun thing because it's, it's, it's the human condition. It's, it's where we are. It's what we live um, before Christ. And it's, but it's real, though. It's not something that we can just paper over and pretend isn't there. And so we have to, we have to get a good sense for what, where we were and, to be honest with you, where our unsaved friends and families and neighbors and coworkers are right now um, to get a sense of what their life is. And, and once we have that, uh, in, in the next time we get together and we finish out this section, we're going to talk about what good news looks like. You know what, if you, if you don't know um, the bad news, then the good news isn't that great. And so today, today we're going to talk a little bit about the bad news. Um, so if you would not mind standing, let's read uh, Ephesians chapter 2, 1 to 7, and you'll hear a little bit of what I mean. Paul says, So you Gentiles were dead through the offenses and sins in which you once walked, following the patterns of this world age, the patterns set up by the prince of the sky realms, the spirit who is now at work among the sons or children of disobedience, of rebellion. And all of us Jews, Paul's a Jew, all of us also used to live that way in the passions of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of body and mind. We were by nature children of wrath, just like everyone else. But, but God who is rich in mercy out of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead through our trespasses or offenses, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And he raised us up with Christ and seated us with Christ in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So that in the ages to come, in the next age, the heavenly age, he, God, might show the immeasurable riches of God's grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. You may be seated. We're going to be zeroing in primarily on those first three sad verses. And I promise you, though, I promise you that the next time um, we get together and talk about Ephesians, we're going to talk about those happy verses 4 through 7 and verses 8, 9, and 10, which really, in a lot of ways, are the theme verses for this church, the verses upon which our doctrine, our theology, is built almost entirely. And so I promise you the good news is going to get good. But we've got to make the bad news bad first. 
Um, just to help you with the text, I've uh, put up here um, for you the, King, the New King James alongside uh, my translation. They're very, very close, but um, I, I've made some, some changes here and there just to, to help you. Just uh, for your recollection, if you open up your New King James Bible, you're going to see italics all over the place. Italics do not, again, mean this is really important. They mean the translators of the New King James have added in uh, English words to help us understand what's implicit or not spelled out in the Greek. And so this long sentence doesn't have a verb in Greek, and so the New King James translators provided it. You, he made alive. You, he made alive. Um, that's not really there. That doesn't come until the fourth or fifth verse. Um, and so I, I've just kind of uh, taken it out and, 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 and made some, some grammatical changes. But I've also added in the Gentile thing. And that also is going to come in in, our, in our, next, um, our next time we talk about this. But it's really important that we recognize, we hear this. You're going to hear it over and over throughout Ephesians. You and us. There's going to be a lot of you language and a lot of we language. Now, sometimes when Paul says we, he's just talking about all Christians, everybody who's trusted in Jesus. But sometimes, occasionally, when he says we, he's referring primarily to um, Jewish people who've come to believe in Jesus. And that's going to be important, especially when we talk about the power and the meaning of grace and works uh, the next time. And so, but, but right now, in this particular text, he's setting it all up. He's going to say, you Gentiles, this happened to you. And then he's going to say, and we Jews also, the same thing happened to us. We're all in the same boat. And we'll see that in a second. I've just changed trespasses to offenses because we think of trespassing as um, what you do when you're going into a government property, Area 51, and you cross a, a line, an invisible line. Uh, that's trespassing. That's uh, not quite, I mean, it's a little bit like what, um, what's really going on there. But, but really, the, that word is probably better if we think about something um, that offends God. It's, uh, there's like a, God looks and he's like, ooh, no, that is not appropriate, not respectful. And then sins are those things that we do that distort um, God's plan for the world and, and, and even our own hearts and souls. So um, you can think of offense to God and distortion. Um, what Paul, you notice that, that crazy metaphor right at the beginning. And you were dead. You're dead. Now this is obviously not death like you know regular death that we think about um, where a person ceases breathing. It's, it's some kind of different thing. It's a spiritual death. And Paul interestingly says you're, you're dead through trespasses and sins. There's something, uh, there's something that happens when you commit a trespass, an, an offense to God or a sin, that's, uh, any action that's outside of God's plan for how the world ought to be that, that somehow makes you dead inside. There's something about you where you're just not... Alive like you ought to be. It creates a death in life. Um, for those of you who know Soren Kierkegaard, he had a whole book called The Sickness Unto Death. And this whole book is about how you can be breathing and how you can be alive and yet your heart can be utterly dead. It's pumping not blood but ash. This death in life is a cheap imitation, Paul is going to argue, of a real eternal life. And in a way, it looks a little bit like life, people who live this death in life, this spiritual death, but it's, it's a cheap imitation. It's a, it's a simulacrum, you might even say. It's, it's, it, it, it's not quite right. And if you look at it deeply, you're going to see what's different. We do this a lot in our culture. Uh, it's a big thing nowadays. Um, that, that you've, you've seen these movies and these TV shows, these comic books about the walking dead, the zombies? That's a big deal in our culture right now. It's a, kind of a weird kind of weird take on, I'm not sure why that, that happens. I can't stand these shows. That, uh, I, I've tried to watch them and I just can't do it because it's a little bit too dark for me. Um, but they, it, it, interesting, when you think about a zombie, right? A zombie um, sort of has all of the kind of functions of a regular person, 
right? Like a zombie can move arms. A zombie can look around. Some zombies, depending on the, uh, the movie, can speak, right? But there's something um, just dead about it. Right? Instead of, instead of the motion of, of drinking like this, zombies have these jerky, herky, jerky motions. And instead of eating, um, you know, steak like we like to eat, they eat living people and their brains. Uh, so there's, there's some, some really weird, dead differences between a, a person who's got real deep life and somebody who's got this kind of walking dead life. And I think, um, we can even see that. Uh, it's, you know, you talk about TV and news. I think we see something of this cheap imitation of life. If you just flip on, you know, there's a, the TMZ. Have you heard of this? It's a show uh, where it, all they do is they kind of follow the lives of celebrities. And, and this is supposed to be very glamorous for us, right? Or People Magazine, Us. I think Us Weekly is another one of these. Where we, we look at all, it's kind of the heroes of our culture and our generation. And, uh, they, they have these, these incredible mansions. And they're very famous. And they're beautiful. Right? And they're, uh, constantly using different substances to enhance their experience of life. Um, they, uh, they move from, from one uh, sexual partner to the next in, a, in very quick succession, sometimes uh, not even in succe- succession. And, and, and the way it's portrayed to us is this is the real life. This is the life that you are missing out on. And if you could really have everything that you want, you would do this. If it, you, would, you would be famous, people would look up to you, you'd have an amazing car, you'd have a beautiful large home, you'd have um, uh, all these uh, beautiful people surrounding you, you would be able to enhance your experience with all these different, you'd be able to, you would have it all. That would, that's real life, right? That's the best life, our movies and our TV shows tell us. And yet, it seems that Paul wants to say, and I think we might agree with him, that that life is hopeless. It's empty. In fact, that life right there is no different from the zombie life versus what we might call the full, rich, real, eternal life. That the life we see and that's projected to us as the best life really isn't the best life. It's actually the darkest and most dead life. Why? What Paul brings out in this text, and actually um, in keeping with the, the first chapter of Ephesians, is that a life like that is completely out of keeping with a life that's fit for the next age or the ages to come, that he says in verse 7. That the, that the life of death through offenses and sins is not fit for the life of the ages to come. What Paul wants to say is that real life is going to happen in its fulfillment, in its totality, when the Lord comes back and he takes his church home and he sets everything right and he creates the world as it was always meant to be, filled and glorified, that kind of life that you live in that world, that's the real life. That's eternal life. And the life on TMZ is a fake, dead, cheap imitation of that life. And Paul will also say this. We know what that life is like. And he said this in the first chapter. Because it has been revealed in Christ. Christ crucified. Christ is the shape of that life. And this cheap, fake, zombie, walking dead life is not in keeping with the life that Christ has revealed, crucified, and glorified. Friends, When Christ comes, he demonstrates that real life is a life of utter and endless self-giving. 
And this is because he's putting in flesh, in human form, exactly how God lives from eternity. We know God is triune, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. The Father gives glory to the Son, who then doesn't say, yay, I've been glorified. Instead, he sends it right back to the Father by the power of the Spirit. God, God gives the Son power, and the Son gives up that power so that he can be life for us. Everything that the Godhead does from beginning to end is a deferral. It's a self-emptying. It's a circle almost of glory and love and endless joy. And that that life, Paul thinks, that life that we'll all be living in the next life, that's it. That's as good as it gets. That's deep. It's real. It's full. And this walking dead life is its antithesis. In your note sheets, number one, spiritual death is a condition in which human beings are not fit for the life of the ages to come or the highest spiritual reality, which is Christ crucified and glorified. When you are not living that life, you're dead as dead can be. Well, okay, Paul, fair enough. That's not fit for the ages to come. In the ages to come, the Lord is, is going to pour out his immeasurable riches. We're going to see all that. What then is this walking dead, this spiritual death? What's it fit for? If it's not fit for heaven, then where does it fit in? What is it like? The next portion of the text here. You Gentiles were dead through the offenses and sins in which you once walked, following the patterns of this world age. The patterns set up by the prince of the sky realms. I've changed um, the patterns of this world age just to try and bring out a little bit of the Greek there. It's kind of a tough translation. That uh, word that I've translated age is actually the word that um, the New King James translators have, have used as course. So it, the most literal translation would be according to the course of this cosmos or this universe. And I've um, altered that a, a little bit to bring it out. That word um, is aeon in Greek. Um, and you might have heard it. it. It comes into English as the word eon. You've heard this word, eon? Um, in English, when we talk about eons and eons, we're, we usually mean like really long periods of time. But we do catch a little bit of kind of the Greek flavor of the word because when we talk about an eon, we talk about a, time, a, a span of time that's uh, characterized by a common theme. And so um, geologists will talk about, you know, this eon of the earth age or whatever. And it, it means that going on in this time, something very similar. Um, I think we can get a little bit of that when we talk about our word era, right? Um, it, it's, it's, a, it's a time that's demarcated, it's set off, and yet everything that goes on in that era is, is, can be characterized by a common theme. And right now there are some people who are saying we have entered the, into the three-point era in the NBA. Um, up until now, up until just a few years ago in the NBA, the three-point shot was kind of just, it was a nice little bonus, and you'd get a couple of them during a game. If you were lucky, you had a good, a good shooter. We're moving into an era, possibly, where that's going to be the, the, the lifeblood of NBA teams. In fact, the whole league is going to be changed into a three-point shooting league. And, and so we're going to say, we're going to call it the three-point era. Um, Similarly, Paul's saying, we're in an era right now, a world age, an age that has certain patterns, certain common themes. And so we have to ask ourselves, what are these patterns? We, uh, we can say that we're in a particular era in world her uh, history characterized by certain patterns. Well, patterns um, change. So uh, the patterns that we have nowadays in, in, in Orange County are different than the patterns that probably Paul dealt with in the Ephesians. Right? With the Ephesians. The Ephesians thought they lived in the age of Artemis. 
uh, Artemis was the goddess of Ephesus, and she um, caused them to act and live in certain ways. And so you might wonder, well, what, what age do we live in? And, and, and are the patterns somehow similar? Uh, do they have some common themes? Well, I suggest they do. If you want to talk about our age, um, I've read this uh, uh, in the New York Times. Um, there's an, uh, an op-ed columnist who says that we live in the era, the eon, the aeon, the age of expressive individualism. Expressive individualism. Um, this actually begins with Socrates. Socrates said, know thyself. And we in America, or North America, the West, and the 21st century, we take this very seriously. So we spend a lot of time in our uh, teens and 20s looking inward, thinking about ourselves, thinking about what we like and what we don't like. And then once we figured it out, once we figured out what matters most to us, we celebrate it and share it with the world no matter what it is. It doesn't matter. You, I mean, if you're really into video games, then boy, you broadcast that on social media and you're like, hey, everybody, come celebrate me for my love of video games or uh, my love of books. And, and, and we all know in the culture, this, it doesn't just stay with those types of things. It, it gets into um, very, very uh, dark things. It gets into the issues of, of sex, money, power, um, all those things. We look inside, what is it that fulfills me, makes me happiest? You know, uh, sexually, what is it that I want to buy? And if I had that, I'd finally be, be whole. And then you just share that with the world, expressing your individualism. If you don't believe me, think about our cultural slogans, the things that we say. Uh, we say things like, celebrate diversity. Diversity, uh, it, at one point, it was because of uh, the long legacy of racism in the United States and, and, and trying to change um, the way that we thought about ethnic minorities. It doesn't mean that anymore. I mean, it starts with that. But it means everything that's different. No matter how strange or weird it is, we celebrate it. Um, celebrate diversity. Embrace. Embrace the other. Um, that also began with people who were historically marginalized. And so we would embrace them. But it's gone beyond that. Now it's embrace whatever the other is. Don't judge. This is popular amongst millennials. Don't judge. Uh, you know, you, you, that might not be cool for you, but don't judge me. Um, or this is my favorite. Um, be true to yourself. Be yourself. Yeah, it's a good one. Um, <laughs> has, everyone, has, has anyone ever actually done that? Um, can you imagine how terrible it would be? If you really were true to all the things in your heart and you celebrated that in the world, all those dark things, this is the pattern of our world age that we live in here in 2016 in North America in the first world. The one thing we don't want to talk about, the last thing we want to talk about is what might be wrong with us that needs to change. Instead, we want to look at what's wrong, in a, wrong with us and have everyone in the whole world celebrate it. This is number two in your note sheets. The spiritual death is fitting for life on earth as it is in this age or aeon. The crazy thing about the walking dead, friends, is that they fit right in in the culture out there. It's just right for them. It fits like a glove. Because they love to celebrate what's going on in their lives. They want everyone to embrace it. They don't want to be told that there's something wrong with you, that there's a darkness, it's corrupting, that's sick. The last thing they want to hear is that. 
And that gives us a question. What is the nature of, of our age? And why does spiritual death fit so well? What is it about spiritual death that fits so well to uh, here? Why is it? Friends, be honest with yourselves. Why is it that when you hear the phrase, be true to yourself, you kind of feel like, wait, that's a little bit good though, right? There's something good about that, right? Or why is it that when you hear, don't judge, probably because you're hearing the echo of the New Testament, judge not lest ye be judged, uh, why is it that that, that, that's so enticing? Why does spiritual death feel so right? Paul goes on, he says, You Gentiles were dead through the offenses and sins in which you once walked, following the patterns of this world age, the patterns set up by the prince of the sky realms. Um, That according to is really just emphasizing where those patterns come from. And so I've bracketed that. The pattern set up by the prince of the sky realms is the one who set these up, set up these patterns for you to walk in. Who's the prince of the sky realms? Well, it's Satan. It's the devil. Um, Paul uh, doesn't use the term devil or Satan in Ephesians, um, but that's who he's talking about, and we can know this because we can see some of his other letters where he talks about this stuff. But, but interestingly, the reason that he's not using that, that, text, that, that language is because he's using the language of Greek cosmology. Greek cosmology. He, uh, he's talking to people who believe in kind of a different world than we believe. We believe in a world where, um, I guess, the sun, our sun, is on like a branch of a galaxy, the Milky, the Milky Way. Um, and we're sort of rotating around the sun, and it's rotating around the center of that galaxy, and that's part of an even larger universe. That's our cosmology. Um, that's not Paul's co- cosmology, and it's not the Ephesian cosmology. Um, I have a picture of their cosmology for you. Yes. Um, right here at the center of, of their universe is the Earth, right? And notice just above it is the air. Um, then there's an, uh, a realm of fire, um, and then there's actually some water that's intermixed with the earth. That's because the ancients following Empedocles believed in four elements, uh, earth, water, uh, air, and fire. And so they built that into their vision of how the universe works. And Paul specifically pr- uh, points out the air. A couple things to notice about this. If you believe in this cosmology, notice that the air is really close to the earth, but it's not ultimate, right? The air, um, it's, it's very small, when you consider the whole universe, right? It's just, it's just right here, and it's really, it's the atmosphere. It's the blue sky that we see. That's what um, the, uh, the Greeks in Ephesus would have thought of as the air. Um, and there's all these other realities beyond it, beyond it higher and farther away, um, but this reality is the one that's closest to us. The atmosphere, the air. I've called it the realm of the sky. Um, in, 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 uh, in Greek Physics and in, in Ephesus, physics or what we think of as physics or science and religion are, are tightly intertwined. And so not only is this how the world looks, but it's also a spiritual reality. So um, there's the realm of the sky, a dominion, a place where the spirits influence us. Uh, they are what's in the air, you might say. Uh, they're what we breathe. They're the air we breathe. Um, these are, uh, Pythagoras called them uh, demons and heroes. Demons not in the sense that we think of demons, more just as spirits or ghosts like Casper kind of. And heroes like Hercules. After Hercules uh, dies, he goes and he, he enters the realm of the sky. And from there, he's able to influence us. We can you know, send prayers up to Hercules or Artemis or whomever, and they can influence our lives. This is the realm of the sky. Well, Paul, uh, not Greek, Jewish, Paul comes in and says, oh, that's where the influence happens? Well, I'll tell you who's influencing you. His name is Satan. He's the devil, the ruler, the enemy. Um, 
and just to, to add on, he's not the, the ultimate power. I mean, right before this, we have this in uh, Ephesians uh, 1, 20 uh, to 21. God put this power to work in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. And that last, uh, the firmament, the very highest reality, that's where Christ is. Far above this air, this, uh, this, this air we breathe, far above the rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name, Artemis and Hercules and whoever that is named, not only in this age, this present world age that we live in, but also in the world age to come when, when Christ rules over all and all. The fact of the matter is that God has allowed Satan to have power here. He has power in the sky realm. He influences us. He's part of the air we breathe. His influence, his corrupting influence, uh, gets to us. How does this work? Think again of expressive individualism. Did you know that expressive individualism, the corrupting influence of our culture, started out as a Christian value? This is interesting. This is true. Yeah. Um, it started out um, because Christians were the first people, in, in the first religious people coming out of their Jewish heritage to preach to the world that every single human has value, intrinsic value, worth, because you're created in God's image. That was a very foreign concept in the world that, that, that Christianity entered into. People were valued, much as we often value each other, based on what you could get out of them. And Christianity is the first uh, religious ideology to say, no, no, you're worth something, you're good, you're valuable, because you're made in God's image. Uh, in the 18th century, Immanuel Kant secularized this view to say that that's not because God, you're not not because you're in God's image, although maybe, but really just because human, human life is, is just intrinsically worthwhile. This idea, it, it broke into the air we breathe, the cultural atmosphere, And I believe that the devil took hold of it because this is his area. And he started to change it. He took out that whole image of God part. Took out that part that this is where your worth and value comes from. Instead, just erased it. And and once he did that, he did something else. But if you take away um, the God part of it, the image of God part of it, you take away also the part where this image we have inside of us is broken. If our worth and value um, comes from God's image, and God's image is fractured in us, and you take that away, then suddenly you're left with something that's just valuable, as is. In the last 50 years, I believe this has happened, where we look and we say every person is valuable, and we don't add in, but they're broken. Instead, we just value them for their brokenness. And I submit to you that that is a path that always ends in death and fire. But you see how Satan did it. He took this good, beautiful thing that the church has taught, that the Lord taught, and he just took one small part out of it, and then he put it in the air we breathe. And this deception, this subtle corruption over time began to take over the culture such that now what it is to be a person in the 21st century in the West, in the first world, is to celebrate diversity and to embrace the other and to never judge and to always, always, always say, you're okay. Good news, the future age, 
we'll see the sky realm put in full subjection to Christ. That's what's so important about that cosmology Paul's using is there's the air, right? But, but the air is, is a small part of the universe and God rules over the whole thing and he's raised Christ up in, in authority and dominion over it all. And so at a certain point, at a certain point, um, the air we breathe will be freed from corruption. It'll be made pure uh, when the Lord comes back and, and, and renews all things. And that, the air we breathe will not be corrupted any longer according to the enemy's deception. But friends, let's be realistic. It is now. And that's something we have to deal with. Paul writes, All of us Jews also used to live that way in the passions of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of body and mind, and we were by nature children of wrath like everyone else. Uh, you can see I haven't done much here. Just um, if you're following the New King James, these are the small uh, changes that are made. The only one that really is worth uh, bringing out is, is the fulfilling of the desires of body and mind. Um, the whole of us is corrupted in, when we're the walking dead. We're all corrupted. So every desire, whether the desires of our, of our minds, uh, things that we believe to be true or valuable, or they're the, the desires of our flesh to have this or to, to take that, it's all being fulfilled in the walking dead. The walking dead walk around, and whatever it is in their mind that they want, they go out and they seize it. Anything that they feel in their flesh that they want, they go out and they seize it. And, and Paul says, we Jews too are just like that. We're all in the same boat here. And I want to highlight children of wrath. Children of wrath, it means we're the recipients of wrath. It means that our nature is characterized by God's wrath. It's the life and the experience the walking dead have. And yet, it doesn't seem like it, does it? I mean, if, if what I'm saying is true, and uh, you know, the people on TMZ who are living these lives of just complete and utter giving, you know, whatever the mind and the body want, they just go and they seize it. It honestly looks kind of fun. I'm not going to lie to you. Uh, there are times when I would really like to have an exotic automobile. Um, I remember for, for a while, Scott had a, an Acura something. What was it? An NSX. Okay, whatever that is. That's like some, it's one of those cars where you look at it and you're like, oh, that's a, good, that's a cool car. It's like, and I remember we were uh, at, um, in the mountains in, in uh, Mammoth when he had just first gotten it. And they have these very narrow roads where um, if, you, if you drop off, you die because it's like there's a cliff there. And, and, and they're very narrow. And, and Scott, because he was young and stupid, um, told, me to, told me to buckle my seatbelt. And he just accelerated as fast as he could right through these turns. He's like, look, look at the handling. <laughs> I was like, my, pa- my face against the glass looking down at my impending doom. Like, no, I, I, don't, I don't care about that. Uh, but I, th- I thought, you know, it might be nice to, to have something like that. Or, you know, it really might be nice to just, whenever I feel like doing something, just to do it. Because I see all these people with their casual sex and the this and that, and it seems like they're having a great time. And if they're really children of wrath, how come we don't see that? Shouldn't the, shouldn't the lightning bolts be falling from the sky and incinerating these people? Right? Well, that's because God's wrath in this age is not meted out, usually, by lightning bolts and fire. The wrath of God in this age is carried out by giving you what you want and not stopping you. You're given over to your expressive individualism. You're greedy? Fine. Greed's good. You're consumed by lust? Great. 
Pornography um, is liberating for women. (laughs) You're gossip-bound. You know what? Drama sells. Go for it. You crave power? Well, we're in need of some good leaders. You hate responsibility? It's uh, It's just fetal tissue. You can flush it. All the restraints that have been put are lifted. And people are given over to going after everything they want. This is the wrath of God in this dispensation, this age that we live in. And the result is walking death. It's people whose lives have no joy, no hope, and no eternal significance or purpose. In the quietness of their hearts, despite what they display on TMZ, they know that they are the darkness and they crave desperately the light. And that's note number four. In this age, God's wrath for the spiritually dead is expressed in being given over to your desire. What's dark about this, friends, is that um, for those of us who've trusted in Lord Jesus, we've been pulled out of this. And, and that's kind of the end of, um, of this text. What's really troubling is that this is the current reality for your friends, your neighbors, your family who do not know Jesus. They have no fit in their life for the next age. They're not ready for it. When they go in, you know, the next age is one characterized by Christ, by self-giving love. And they're characterized by self-getting, expressive individualism. They go along to get along in a corrupted age. They, they, they just celebrate whatever the culture says celebrate. They're ruled by their desires and no one's holding them back from fulfilling them. It's a pretty dark situation. And we might wonder, are they doomed? They're not. Good news, they're not. Uh, if you go to the, the um, beginning of our text, I don't have it up there, but if you, you know, look um, in your text, you were once dead. Remember, this is Paul reminding his audience, us, Coast Bible Church, this was you. You used to be like this. This was what characterized you, but look at you now. Look at you now. You've been made alive. You were the walking dead. But God, who is rich in mercy, out of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead through our offenses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. God raised us up with him, Christ, and seated us with him in the heavenly places so that in the ages to come he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Friends, you were dead. You are now alive. The walking dead are still dead. But if we go out to them, they too can be made alive in the power of the Spirit. I'm going to stop there. Um, we're going to talk more about this. We're going to come back to this uh, in a couple weeks. We're going to pick up where we left off, and we're going to be talking about what it is that God did for the walking dead. And then we're also going to talk about how it is that we share this. Friends, this is a dark, it's a dark out there. It's dark, and it's getting darker, it seems like. And we need to have a strategy 
We need to have a place to go where we say, this is the light we bear, and it is true grace, it is true life. This, this thing that you're doing is not good, and it's killing you. You're dead inside. We've got a different story for you, a different life. And we need to know how to do that. Come back in a couple weeks and we will. In the meantime, let's pray. God, we um, thank you for taking us out of spiritual death. We thank you for making us not the walking dead, but the people who live the life of the age to come, the age when you rule in fullness, when the prince of the sky realms is put down once and for all, when the air is clean, when we will live your divine life of eternal self-giving, eternal joy, eternal peace, eternal hope. God, thank you. But God, lay on our hearts in a renewed way a conviction about what has transpired in the world, that the people around us, the people that we love, the people that we know are walking dead, that there is no light, that they have been given over, they are children of wrath, and that it is a dark thing. God, renew in us a conviction, a desire to, to be a part of your solution, your gracious, self-giving solution to a culture that seems determined, determined, to express itself and celebrate itself right into the grave. God, you're good and you are rich in mercy. And we trust that. Thank you for Jesus. In his name, amen.